Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. I'm a Catholic life actuary, and the Catholicism does have a small little bit of relevance today. Today is Seek and Ye Shall Find. What? And to give you the reference, I'm going to read, this is not a Catholic Bible, but the King James Bible, the best product of a committee. Uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then it goes on. So that's totally out of context, obviously, and I'm not giving you the complete context. But today is going to be kind of strange. I'm going to start with a stupid argument on the internet, but also some people caught out using ChatGPT in their academically published articles. And then going back to that case of the four articles with obviously tampered data. And the question in each of these cases has to do with somebody seeking, but what were they seeking? And it's obvious they weren't seeking truth in many ways, or there were certain things they were obviously not seeking. Otherwise, people like me wouldn't have found something else. So let me start with this stupid argument that another one of my friends shared on Facebook, and it obviously comes from Reddit. Um, and these, you know, are your regular randos, and they're arguing over the dangerousness of pit bulls. And I'm not going to argue that point. That's not the point of this discussion. Uh, one of the people, I'm just going to call DWC, uh, they're a dangerous breed, full stop. The other person, their name is obliterated, and you'll see why in a moment. I'll call them the interlocutor. Uh, why? I've met many Pitta, and they have been hella nice, kind, and playful. So is a six-foot guy dangerous just because he's tall and muscular, or because he's German? You base your dislike on nothing substantial. DWC. I base my dislike on statistics and genetics. Numbers don't lie. Interlocutor. Okay, Mr. Statistics, did you know that chihuahuas kill more people than pit bulls? In 2019, chihuahuas killed 21,042. And the next thing, there's a link, it's like blue, like it's a link. Here you go, Mr. Statistics. So evidently, Mr. Statistics, that is DWC, did follow that link and found out what it was linked to. And this is all in caps. That's people who died in the Mexican state of Chihuahua. So obviously, and I can obviously tell what had happened with this person who wanted to win their argument that Chihuahuas were more dangerous than pit bulls. And I'll get back to that argument in a moment. They obviously searched for Chihuahua's death and then got to a statistics page of number of deaths, Chihuahua deaths. I'm sure that's what it was labeled. Not realizing Chihuahua deaths meant the number of people who died in the state of Chihuahua, um, and probably didn't even know that there was a Mexican state called Chihuahua, and that's what the dog is named after. 
um, the dog breed is named after. And the point is they found this, they found this number and never once did they stop to think, is this number at all credible? How the hell does a Chihuahua kill a person in the first place? I mean, I can imagine various, you know, tripping somebody and they fall down the stairs and I can think of all sorts of scenarios, but it's quite a reach and pit bulls do kill quite a few, <laughs> a lot more people than Chihuahuas do. It, it would take a lot for a Chihuahua. I mean, you'd need a pack of Chihuahuas. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're not going down that route any further. Um, but obviously they had an argument in their mind and all they were seeking was something to back their argument. They wanted some other dog breed to be more dangerous than pit bulls. They did not care what the reality was. They did not care what the truth was. They wanted to win their internet argument. Um, and they went searching for whatever, not thinking what that whatever they found actually supported what they wanted. What were they seeking? They found something, uh, but what they found was not what they thought they found. Um, now you're going like, well, this is just some idiot on the internet. There's plenty of idiots on the internet. Um, that's not unique. However, there's a lot of problems coming out with the usage of tools such as ChatGPT, and it is causing more problems at different levels. So I'm going to share something that I found via somebody else who found some usage of chat GPT in academic papers. So this is coming from somebody named Guillaume Cabanac. So I'm like kind of a French name here. Oopsie in a 2023 Elsevier Connect journal paper. So this is an academic journal. So this is not a homework paper. Please note that as an AI language model, I am unable to generate specific tables or conduct tests. So the actual results should be included in the table. And then he puts a little clown face emoji next to it. Now, there are layers to this, as the kids say. Uh, if you actually look at this in context of what is the text that comes before this parenthetical that ChatGPT automatically generates when it does these sort of things, um, here's what comes before it. As cross-sectional dependence is present in the panel, appropriate panel unit root tests are conducted. Table 3 presents the results of two tests, CADF, cross-sectionally augmented Dickie Fuller, and CIPS, cross-sectionally augmented M. Pesaron and Shin, sorry, as follows, and then colon, and then it gives Table 3, finding of cross-sectional dependency check, and then it has a formatted table. And then there's a note one and uh, with a, a footnote and all sorts of things. Note one and note two of various things. Now, what's interesting to me is like, okay, this is obviously a copy paste artifact out of chat GPT. Here's the issue. And then um, in his post, he went on to search for the text as an AI language model, that's one of the phrases. And then another phrase is like regenerate response, 
which is something like if you want to get a different response out of ChatGPT. Um, and found it in published journal papers. And these are online journals, not paper journals, obviously, that they're searching on. Here's the issue. When I look at this, this is a table from some statistical analysis, and it's formatted table. And it looks like it's formatted in something like LaTeX, which requires coding to create. One of the uses of ChatGPT is to help people generate code. And LaTeX is one of those things it can generate for you. One of the biggest pains in the asses to create in LaTeX is tables. Um, it's, I hated doing it when I had to use LaTeX and it's actually in Word, it's a pain in the ass to create tables as well. And this kind of table that I'm looking at, there's three columns and the way it's organized, it's like rows are paired up and then there's parentheticals within each column. And it's kind of a drag to have to generate this code. So I can imagine the authors in this situation did copy paste code coming from chat GPT and just did it as a block and then took their statistical results, put those numbers into the code and got what they wanted. Now that means it could have been totally legitimate results from their statistical tests into their paper. However, well, what about this? Please note as an AI language model, yada, yada. Well, when I looked at what his search results were for the various papers, what their titles were and specifically what the author names were, it seemed to me, given the various cultures those names would have been associated with, these were likely non-native English speakers and they may not have recognized this text. Okay, so that's the authors, but what about the journal editors? And what about the purported peer reviewers? Is there any peer review going on? And was there any editing going on? One of the dirty secrets, of course, in academic, academic publishing is that there's a lot of very low quality journals out there. So chances are actually pretty good. There was no review going on and actually very little editing going on that the editors are there mainly to do <laughs> run a grammar check uh, on it just so they don't embarrass themselves too much. Um, and with regards to peer reviewing, I don't even need to talk about that. Um, so, you know, what are the incentives here for these journals to actually edit? You know, what, where's the money <laughs> coming from, um, is the question. And, uh, you need to get published as an academic to get, uh, you know, tenure. And even once you have tenure, you do need to keep publishing for status, for influence, for higher positions. You can still get promotions. You can still, you still want the grants and the office space and the accolades and that sort of thing. It's a status game. It's kind of depressing the economics and the hierarchies and status games in academia. Um, and then in some of these cases, I mentioned the non-native speakers. Well, it, it goes beyond being a non-native speaker of English. Perhaps you want to get 
out of your native country and get into a, you know, more upscale country than you're from, perhaps. Uh, you need to have those publications. You need to have the clout. And, uh, yeah. So it's kind of depressing. Um, so that may be what's going on here. And it's, it's just an industry and there's a lot of crap out there and ChatGPT is just making the generation of academic crap, which occurred, of course, before ChatGPT arrived. There was plenty of crap being published. It's just now a lot more efficient for them to generate it, especially for those. So, you know, it's kind of evening the playing field for those who are not native English speakers. So now they can generate the papers just much more easily and they have less of a barrier to entry of the English language journals. So I think it's a great thing um, that they can bloviate along with the English speakers just as well and they can get into those journals. Um, but it does mean academia really needs to sit down and think what the hell they're doing with their journals and journal publishing and are they actually producing anything of any worth? Uh, you know, is peer review actually going on? Is there actually any quality control? Because it's like, seek in, ye shall find. Well, it seems nobody is actually seeking anything except for specific groups of people who are actively seeking that there is chat GPT being used and other tools where perhaps you know, the quality is not there. Um, there are groups such as Retraction Watch, but they are not the only people out there. There are various groups that are trying to push for replication of various experiments uh, as opposed to what often is going on. And it's not just, by the way, in the social sciences. Um, I found in my own research, I was modeling neurons, a lot of people had their own models that they were playing with, but didn't necessarily test out other people's models. And, you know, I don't know if that's a problem or not, you know, try out a lot of different models. But, you know, I can see various issues and that people were not necessarily checking the work of other people. This is not just a problem, by the way, in academia. Um, it does happen in business as well. However, we are used to the concept of needing audit and needing people to check other people's work. But, you know, <laughs> I may have mentioned a few times before that I, a member of the European Spreadsheet Risks Interest Group, and uh, there are all sorts of, it doesn't require fraud, but there are all sorts of what I would call operational risks within the business world where you know, a lot of people are not checking work and not seeking. They are not seeking error. They're, a lot of times, if there is a search, it might be a search for fraud um, or where there is audit, it's not thorough or the goals of audit are not necessarily what I would consider the goals should be. Um, but it, you know, like model audit, for example, uh, it differs by organization. Some organizations do have a structured, like, say, model function and model audit and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, this is getting a little far afield of the original point. Um, well, not the audit part, because this is about seeking. And you do find 
what you seek in terms of if you do not seek it in general you will not find it and if you are seeking a particular thing and you find something you can misinterpret it if that was not what you were specifically searching for like the, the chihuahua deaths um, and that got misinterpreted but in this, this case of this use of chat gpt I'm not assuming that these various researchers who are using ChatGPT are trying to promulgate bogus uh, results. What I think is a lot of them are not comfortable in writing these papers. They have results, but the culture is that you have to write it out in language. And maybe we should question that. Why should it have to be written out in language? They have their numbers. They have what they did maybe we don't need to write it out in complete sentences maybe it can be done in bullet points why does it have to be a narrative maybe we should question that this tradition of journal papers i'm just putting this out there that's a thought um i'm not in academia so i can say these things i have no dog in that particular game but finally i want to go back to the issue of the data tampering cases. And I mentioned that in two previous episodes where it was Dan Ariely and Gina, I'm sorry, uh, Francesca Gino. And there has been a further development. Uh, Francesca Gino, who's still a professor at Harvard Business School because she's tenured, but she's on leave. Well, she definitely objected to what the Data Colada guys did and how Harvard Business School colluded, or whatever you want to call it, with the Data Colada guys. Um, so she has filed a lawsuit. And let me read from the complaint. I have a complaint here filed August 2nd in the United States District Court in the District of Massachusetts. Francesca Gino is the plaintiff versus Harvard University, the Harvard Corporation, Shrikant Datar, Yuri Simonson, Leif Nelson, Joseph Simmons, John Doe's 1 through 10, and Jane Doe's 1 through 10, as the defendants at jury trial demanded. So uh, the nature of the action, so I'm just going to read a, a first few numbered paragraphs, and I'll read out some of the numbers. Uh, paragraph 1, plaintiff Francesca Gino. Plaintiff, or Professor Gino, is employed by Harvard University as a tenured professor at the Harvard Business School. Two, Plaintiff is an internationally renowned behavioral scientist, author, and teacher. She has written over 140 academic articles, both as an author and as a co-author, exploring the psychology of people's decision-making. Three, Plaintiff has never falsified or fabricated data. Four, in July 2021, a trio of professors and behavioral scientists, all male, defendant Uri Simonson, defendant Leif Nelson, and defendant Joseph Simmons, who have a blog named Data Collada, and who are collectively referred to herein as Data Collada, approached Harvard Business School with alleged concerns about perceived anomalies and fraud, in scare quotes, in the data of four studies in academic articles authored by a plaintiff. Five, Data Collada threatened to post the fraud allegations on their blog, thereby subjecting plaintiff and by extension Harvard Business School to public scrutiny. Why not? 
That's my interjection. Why can't they be subjected to public scrutiny? Anyway, six, without plaintiff's knowledge, Harvard University and the dean of Harvard Business School, defendant Shrikant Datar, Dean Datar, negotiated an agreement with Data Collada, pursuant to which Harvard Business School investigated the allegations in accordance with a new employment policy created solely for plaintiff in exchange for Data Collada's silence during the investigation period. Unbeknownst to plaintiff, Harvard Business School further agreed to disclose the outcome of the investigation to Data Collada, who could then subject plaintiff's work and professional reputation to public disparagement on its blog. Okay, and then it continues on in that manner. So, you know, and, and, it, and there's still, you know, more going on because obviously that started in 2021 and the results weren't published on Data Collada until 2023. So the issue is the data were tampered with and her what she claims is that she did not falsify or tamper with the data. And I'm going to read from three paragraphs from different parts of the complaint because I searched for the term research assistant. Okay, 209. This statement was demonstrable. And this is out of context, by the way, but I'm just telling you Okay, which paragraph number? So paragraph number 209, the statement was demonstrably and verifiably false. The data provided to uh, HBS by Professor Gina's former research assistant was in an Excel spreadsheet and was not the original data set for study one. The original data set for study one had been collected on paper in 2010, a fact that was clearly documented in the original 2012 PNAS paper. Okay, uh, 242, paragraph 242, Data Collada also knew that the so-called duplicate observation was not evidence of tampering as it was equally likely that the same index card was used for participants' IDs or the research assistant who conducted the study entered the ID twice in honest error. There we go. And paragraph 274, importantly, Data Collada also acknowledged in this recent blog post that it knows that an author of a study is not always the person responsible for handling or collecting the data and therefore is also not always the personal person responsible for any resulting data irregularities. See id. Um, so a prior uh, reference. Doubtless, as behavioral scientists at leading universities, Data Collada knew or had reason to know that Professor Gino works with research assistants and others and may not have been the person responsible for any perceived anomalies in studies she authored. So going back to this, this is actually very credible to me that uh, there can have been research assistants that, and actually maybe more than one, because they did, given some of the tampering that was involved with the data, and yeah, they were tampered, and it wasn't merely, oh yeah, just by accident a few pieces of data were written down wrong. Um, some things were plainly altered uh, from what I could see, too, from the outside. In any case, uh, I'm going to jump over to, I'm going to get back to the research assistant issue in a moment. 
uh, NPR in a July 28th piece for Planet Money uh, had something from the insurance company, the Hartford. The title of this piece is Fabricated Data and Research About Honesty. You can't make this stuff up, or can you? So uh, they did mention Dan Ariely and Francesca Gino are two of the biggest stars in behavioral science. Both have conducted blockbuster research into how to make people more honest, research we've highlighted on Planet Money. The two work together on a paper about how to nudge people to be more honest on things like forms or tax returns. Their trick? Move the location where people attest that they have filled in a form honestly from the bottom of the form to the top. But recently, questions have arisen about whether the data Ariely and Gina relied on in their famous paper about honesty were fabricated, whether their research into honesty was itself built on lies. The blog Data Colada went looking for clues in the cells of the studies Excel spreadsheets, the shapes of their data distributions, and even the fonts that were used. The Hartford, an insurance company that collaborated with Ariely on one implicated study, told NPR this week in a statement that it could confirm that the data it had provided for that study had been altered after they gave it to Ariely, but prior to the research's publication. So let me go to the statement that the Hartford sent to, uh, to NPR because there's some serious disparities going on here. So there was stuff that Data Colada had found out itself, just looking at the spreadsheets. And then there's what the Hartford confirmed, looking at it after all. So they had some introductory comments, but then they had some bullet points. The data is not the same. So the data they had provided, the number of policies and vehicles in our data, is only a fraction of those in the published study data. So what they gave was 3,756 policies covering 6,033 vehicles. That's what the Hartford gave. What was in the published data set was 13,488 policies, 20,741 vehicles. So someone had taken the original data set and kind of magically multiplied the number of policies and vehicles. And there are ways to uh, make fake data points, which seems to have been the case. Then they talk about how these odometer readings <laughs> had been created. Some of the data in the published study data is originally sourced from our data. Uh, certain columns of data match portions of published study data. It is clear the data was manipulated inappropriately and supplemented by synthesized or fabricated data. Here's why. At least half of the published data's initial odometer readings were derived from our data, but were inappropriately manipulated by combining and redefining the initial and updated odometer readings. The other half was artificially synthesized from this data. We believe the published data's updating odometer readings are the result of a randomly generated odometer change, ranging between 0 and 50,000 miles, plus the initial odometer reading. Now, what was hilarious about 
and and actually and then they talk about the calibri font versus cambria font which was very funny um, but the funny bit about the odometer change was that someone used a uniform distribution which is very unrealistic for odometer readings um and yeah so whoever whoever was do doing the fabrication wasn't trying too hard to hide the fabrication you had fonts and they were kind of lazy in doing um, the distribution for the randomization. So this is what the Hartford had to say. So the change in odometer readings in our data reflect what you would expect to see from real life driving experience illustrated by a bell shaped graph compared with the published study data, which shows a uniform distribution as noted by data collada. Our data does not contain a statistically significant difference between those who sign forms at the beginning and those who sign forms at the end. So the hypothesis and conclusion around honesty for sign beginning and sign end would not be warranted. And I had written a piece back in 2013 where I had believed the Ariely paper and no, it was not correct. And this is why the Hartford didn't change their approach because no, you know, they would make, you know, even if it made a one, 8% difference, they would have made that change. It made no difference, so they didn't make a change. Duh. Ugh. Anyway. So, what was going on? So perhaps, I do find it credible that there could have been a research assistant or assistants who falsified the data on their own motivations because the motivation is that if you're the magical research assistant who always gets good results, you keep getting hired. Think about it. You are the pet. You get selected by the researcher. Um, the other graduate students or research, you know, postdocs or whoever there who are just getting no result, getting nothing. What the hell? And I, I've been a research assistant myself before in the past, but not for statistical studies like this. Um, I, and I actually have my name on a published paper in physics. And I basically babysat a computer. Now, I mean, I did some code and I ran uh, some programs and I made a graph for the paper that was, um, you know, from the results for the graph for the paper that was published. And, you know, it was really one paper and like a nugget form of the paper that was published and my name is on it. So you know who to blame if the results were wrong. <laughs> but for these papers, the research assistants and in some fields, the research assistants who conduct the experiments, who collect the data, get no credit on the paper, um, but they do get paid. And some of them, this is how they get their material for their theses, whether it's a master's thesis or their doctoral thesis. And if you want to finish that degree, if you want to get that recommendation letter, when it's a very difficult tournament career now to get an academic position, um, yeah, if you have the chops to Mm, fudge that data to get that result I can believe there was a research assistant or two and if one said hey 
they're not looking too closely to check that um hmm that these are the data as originally collected because they don't look too closely at the files because they're not looking they're not seeking the truth per se there's no controls on the process they just trust that nobody is falsifying anything isn't that interesting because having no there there well that doesn't get you published and that doesn't get you a job isn't that interesting so the result is to get grants the result is to get jobs the result is to get attention but if there is no result if there's no magic oh look how easy it is to nudge people to be honest versus hey people are actually pretty honest in general unless you have a big incentive to cheat and when someone sees that they can cheat to get a big result <laughs> in their career like hmm, in academia and then one figures it out and maybe they keep that secret to themselves or maybe they share it with a close friend who knows so seek and you shall find however maybe you won't find it you don't know so that's been stump death in taxes <laughs> and uh be careful what you do and don't look for it talk to you another time